Content warning. Tone Deaf is rated explicit for mature content and strong language. Spoilers are in every episode, so if you haven't seen the shows we are reviewing, you can always check back in later with us. We'll be here when you get back. Welcome to Tone Deaf, a theater nerd's guide for their musically challenged spouse. I'm Kay, a musical theater nerd. Sorry, I was staring at how beautiful you are. I'm Aww. I'm Warren, and I'm lost in Kay's big beautiful eyes. <laughs> I love you. I love you. So... Um, this is our last Weber show for a little while. Oh, thank Christ. And uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about the goings-on of the past week and weekend, probably in our next episode, because uh, you already know what we're covering. Uh-huh. Um, love, love seeing... Uh... <laughs> I love seeing my country tear itself apart because people are assholes fucking racist mm -hmm. uh, yeah um, all y'all who were out in the protest please please stay safe um, there there were protests downtown in Salt Lake and a lot of white folks were looting and destroying stuff and it kept coming back on us even though we just yeah it's it's been a rough week and this episode almost didn't happen this week i just i have been stressed and depressed and why. angry and just can't imagine why yeah so the official stance of this podcast is black lives matter absolutely black lives matter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <sighs> and also i learned the unfortunate uh fact that there is apparently a Mormon neo-Nazi group in Utah. Yeah. So that's cool. Sadly, not surprising either. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to soldier on with this episode uh, before we discuss what we're going to be talking about next week, because our plans for episodes kind of changed with everything that's happened. So mm -hmm. um, just heads up on that. Um Anyway, are you ready to talk about our last Weber show for the next little while? I'm trying to be positive because it's the last Weber show and I'm like, yes, you know what? We're done with Weber for at least a little while. At least this show doesn't suck. I'll be the judge of that. All right. As I am the judge of the Weber. Yes. Um, so this week we are talking about by Jeeves which used to be called Jeeves. And when I say used to be called Jeeves, it will be because of uh, the history of this particular show. So. So I have a question. Yes. Is this where like the stereotypical Jeeves Butler comes from? Yes. It okay. is based on the Jeeves books by P.G. Wodehouse. Um, you know, it, British author. Uh, 
So, very British show. This is probably going to be Weber's most British show. <laughs> um, so, Jeeves is a show that was original, that was initially a flop, and the story with this. So, I wasn't able to find as much as I wanted about the original production of Jeeves because <laughs> it's like they scrubbed this show from. <laughs> Like, other than stuff that is on Wikipedia or in a biography of Andrew Lloyd Webber that I don't want to spend money on and read, um, <laughs> then it's it's basically, like, gone. <laughs> I think if we got a Andrew Lloyd Webber biography in the mail, I would smack you with it and be like, why did you spend our money on this? Is this, <laughs> is this in case we run out of toilet paper? We have toilet paper. <laughs> There's cheaper ways to do paper mache, okay? To, to be fair, like To be fair. <laughs> I I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend the whole podcast completely shitting on Weber just because he has created some works of art. He's also created shows that we hate. <laughs> he is by far the most polarizing theater person that i can think of that you've me, encountered personally yeah because he has stuff that i like and then he has things that i absolutely despise and i i i you know what i've noticed with weber mm -hmm. is if i plan for the worst i'm more likely to enjoy it <laughs> yeah that's true that's true so this one started with tim rice again so um Tim Rice actually was like, oh, let's adapt the P.G. Wodehouse Chief stories and Weber, you'll write the music. And then later, Tim Rice went, uh, never mind, I'm going to back out and then uh, see Live in a Vita Loca, our mm -hmm. episode 71, for what happened there. Um, and then uh, Weber ended up pairing up with Alan Akeburn. Ackburn, Ikeburn, A Y C K B U R N. Ackburn. British people, what the fuck is with your last names? I can't <laughs> pronounce half of y'all's last names. <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there's some last names that I come across when working on these British musicals that I'm like, how the fuck do I pronounce this last name? I think way too many of them sound like sexual innuendos. <laughs> Stigwood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so they were able to adapt it with Wodehouse's approval and the story starts much in the same way as the version that we're going to be seeing with Bertie Wooster's banjo needing to be uh, replaced and Jeeves suggesting he passes the time telling the story I didn't know there was a banjo in this show I now have extra concerns if there's a banjo <laughs> is this like British Deliverance? Jesus. Got a pretty mouth there, boy. Ah, get out of my head. <laughs> so, um, the story for this, for the original one, was different. It pulled more on the book The Code of the Woosters for the story. Um, <laughs> Birdie Wooster. Code of the Woosters sounds like the lamest addendum to the Harry Potter series, just... <laughs> Harry must unravel the code of the boosters in order to save his friends from certain death. 
Harry Potter and the Code of the Woosters. <laughs> Except knowing JK. Nope. <laughs> I ain't going there. Anyway, um, Weber decided to stick with more period appropriate music for this one instead of the random rock music like in Joseph and Jesus Christ Superstar, which. And Evita. Good job. And Evita. Well, well, I mean. Evita had a few moments of like rock music, yeah. but it wasn't. That's what I meant, like the random uh-huh. rock moments. Yeah. Um, so they decided to try and stay loyal to the source material. Ha <laughs> gas. Problem one. This led to the show being almost five hours long. Jesus. <laughs> so it was like four minutes, four, or four hours, 45 minutes, like, in the very first tryouts of it. And I think that they slowly whittled it down. You have to. It's like Lord of the Rings on stage, like... <laughs> I can't wait till we cover the ring cycle, because we will. I don't care that it's an opera. We're covering it. <laughs> and from what you told me, sounds pretty it, cool. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be fun. So, uh, problem two was that they, they did a fucking, like, Greek chorus, kind of. That <laughs> they So, there were these characters in the books called the Drones Club. And, I don't know, they were some British boys club thing going on in the books and they had them kind of be a sextet that accompanied Wooster throughout the show and I I don't know I didn't read the books I just knew that they existed <laughs> sextet what's the show rated ha 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 god I love you <laughs> so um that was problem two Problem three is that there were no women on stage until like 35 minutes into the show. And during the Bristol tryouts, not only did they notice that the show was almost five hours long, but they noticed that and just went, shit. It's a sausage party on fest. We've got to fix this. And problem four (laughs) is that Aikburn, Aikburn, Aikburn. I told you it's Aikburn. It's probably Aikburn. Aikburn. Or Aikburn, but the Y is silent. I don't know. Uh, Didn't give a fuck about musicals. (laughs) You probably shouldn't work on a musical, then. Yeah. He he was quoted as saying, I think musicals are pretty damn boring, but I hope this one is a bit different. So, you know. I did... Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, dude. Get, get someone who hates painting to paint a picture, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like... And so you add this to the fact that the director, Eric Thompson, who is uh, Captain Amelia's dad from Treasure Planet. <gasps> uh, oh. oh, God. I can't, like, because I, uh, I like that movie, and I'm, like, trying to think, and I can't picture him. Well, Eric Thompson was the dad of the woman who played Captain Amelia in Treasure Planet. Oh, the who dad. Is... So we have Eric Thompson. We have somebody with the last name Thompson. Emma Thompson. Oh, I, I, yeah, I. Nope. Sorry. No worries. I, <laughs> I was trying to, fi- I was trying to be clever with Emma Thompson and went, what is something that Warren has seen? Because oh, I yeah. know he hasn't seen Love Actually. Yeah, so I, you're absolutely right. I have seen uh, Treasure Planet, and I can think of the the captain that you're talking about, and 
I can hear the voice, but I did not know Emma Thompson, so. No worries. So, um, she, uh, Eric Thompson got fired from directing this show, so Akeburn had to step in to direct. Add on to this that the show got piss-poor reviews that, <laughs> God, I wish I could find. <laughs> and there was not really much of Jeeves in this version, hmm. like at all. And so this show only lasted a month, from April to May of 1975. Oof. A month. Oof. A month. Yeah. For Weber. For Phantom of the Fucking Opera, longest-running show, Weber. <laughs> oh my god, Jeeves is not any good. And, and we... at this point, he's done Jesus Christ Superstar. Ah. <laughs> uh... So, like, this is a blow. But Andrew Lloyd Webber is kind of the Lenny Dykstra of theater, so... <laughs> no concept of failure. So he just sort of sits on this one for a while, does his other shows, moves on to other shows, and also for those who didn't get the Lenny Dykstra joke, that's a crime and sports reference. Mm -hmm. But uh, he ends up doing... So, first off, before we go into the revival, this version had 22 actors in the cast. The version that we're going to be watching has 10 Ah, okay, so some, some significant, uh... They pared it down. Trimming, yeah. And I... Uh, and, uh... And with the, uh, songs in this, only three survive to the revival. Ooh. So it's it's barely even the same show. Mm -hmm. It's It's basically a different show. Like, calling it a revival is almost inaccurate Be because accurate. the title changes the plot changes the cast changes Be more accurate to call it a reimagining yeah yeah and um by the time that weber picks it back up in 1996 it's a completely different show and somehow he gets ache burn back to write the book <laughs> probably like you will care about musical theater i'm going to sit you down and you're going to watch musicals with me for 73 episodes. When did Clockwork Orange come out? Uh, 70... Okay, so... So Weber probably just Clockwork Orange... Yeah. Yuck, burn and... <clears throat> sat him down, pried his I, eyes open. I shouldn't be mean about Ikeburn, but seriously, I can't pronounce that damn name. <laughs> no, I've told you, it's Yuckburn. <laughs> so, um... They changed the title of the musical to By Jeeves, and it seems like every version of the previous version of the musical is gone. Like, <laughs> the soundtrack's out of print, there's no copies of the script for people to perform, it is gone. It, it was, is torched from the fucking planet. It was bale-fired from existence. It was bale-fired from existence. Like, you could probably get the original cast on eBay, like the original, original cast on eBay for a couple hundred dollars, maybe. But that's it. Like, you're not gonna find the original cast album of the original Chiefs without paying a pretty penny for it. Um, <laughs> paying a pretty penny for something that is terrible. I mean, so... <sighs> My 
theater history completionist brain <laughs> still wants to see that version. It's kind of like when we were talking about in Black History Month, where there were some shows that I really wish would get performed again so that I could see them because I just am such a completionist with everything. It drives me nuts when I can't see something. <laughs> when something is... Like I said, I cry about El Apostol every so often. <laughs> well, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, I get that mentality of, like, even if it's bad, still wanting to see it just so that you can... See it. See it, yeah. Yeah, because I want to know where things evolved from. Like... It's why I get sad with incomplete fossil records and things. So, you know. Anyway. Nerd! Yep. Uh, like I said, all but three songs were jettisoned. Uh, but a couple of songs <laughs> do have traces that survived the jettisoning into the void. Granted, they showed up in different shows. Evita has one song that was reworked from the original Jeeves. The song that was reworked was Summer Days. And it became part of Another Suitcase, Another Hall. Hmm. Another Suitcase, Another Hall. And Summer Days reworked into that. Um, half a mo Let's see. Yeah, Half a Moment was recorded by Weber's then-wife, Sarah Brightman, for an album called The Songs That Got Away. That's kind of like it. These are songs that aren't in Weber shows anymore. And then part of that song was reused for Sunset Boulevard in the song as if we never said goodbye. And we'll cover Sunset Boulevard later. Sorry, I'm just thinking about Weber's scrap album. Like, here's what fell on the floor, and I'm just going to pile them all together. And I mean, some, some songs that don't get used, it's not necessarily that they're bad. It's that, oh, it didn't fit here, but maybe I can use it here. And if not, then we'll just re-release it somewhere else. I know I'm defending Weber, but it's more that I'm I'm explaining why. <laughs> no, sorry, you made a joke about it not fitting, and I was saying, have you tried lubricant? Warren! <laughs> so, another fun fact, the song Travel Hopefully was actually from Weber's first project with Rice, called The Likes of Us, in the song Love Is Here. Um... And that one got re-released in 2005 and actually, like, performed properly. Because before that, like, again, this was their first project, but it never got produced until 2005. So that's a little bit of fun Weber history for when we eventually cover that show that you've heard, Travel Hopefully, which is part of that show. And then you'll, when we review that episode eventually, you'll be like, do you remember when we talked about that? And I'll be like... We talked about that. <laughs> so, like I said, uh, Weber and Akeburn opened by Jeeves on May 1st of 1996 at the English seaside resort called uh, the Stephen Joseph Theatre in the Round to a mostly enthusiastic audience. It moved to London on July 2nd of that year at the Duke of York's Theatre with a surprise extension of the run, ending February of 1997. I saw that face. Uh, the <laughs> cast recording had an unconventional format, with Wooster and Jeeves summarizing the plot in between songs, and then a radio version was performed and broadcast on December 14th of 1996. Uh, we had a U.S. premiere at the Goodspeed Opera House in Connecticut on November 12th of 1996, and then a pre-Broadway performance at the O'Reilly Theater in Pittsburgh from February to March of 2001. 
there was a Toronto production that was filmed after this run, and uh, that featured John Shearer and Martin Jarvis, who were in the Pittsburgh production as Wooster and Jeeves, respectively, and that's the version we're going to be seeing. See, Jarvis is sounds like the name of Jeeves's brother. <laughs> Good day, sir. This is my brother, Jeeves. Oh, yes, pleasure to meet you. This is my younger brother, Jarvis. And then he became a computer. <laughs> In a horrible accident. But that's why he's so subservient. So happy to help you, sir. Because he's a butler. And I'm sitting here going, Jarvis was also the servant for the Stark family and took care of Yeah, see, Tony, a butler! Know? Yeah. He's a oh, butler! Oh, man. Oh, man. We're extending the Broadway universe into the Marvel universe. Except for that Spider-Man tried to do that, and we disavow that one. <laughs> you know, Weber would have done a better Spider-Man musical than uh, Bono and the Edge, so... Mm -hmm. You know what? Weber. <laughs> Weber, hear us out. I challenge you to do a better Spider-Man musical. You can do it. I believe in you. You are good at spectacle. I don't think that Weber could do a worse Spider-Man no, musical. And he has a concept of musicals. Yes, he does. <laughs> like, like that's the thing, is as much as we tease him. And didn't you say there that are some good shows. In the, sorry, sorry, total tangent in the Spider-Man episode, didn't you say that Weber had initially said, I want to thank the rock stars for leaving me alone? Yes. So yes. that would be fantastic for him to kind of flex on mm. Bono and the Edge. Weber? Do it. Oh. Do it. Because you would do a better Spider-Man musical, and you'd probably do the source material better justice, too, honestly. Weber, if, if you hear this, and I know you will, and then you do this, because I hope you will, uh, I will, I'll stop giving you shit if yeah. you do this. Warren will stop giving you shit if you do a good Spider-Man musical. Name, I'll name my next dog after you. Yes. We will have Andrew Lloyd Weber the dog. Or cat. Or cat. Well, one of the pets. We'll have a pet named Weber. Yes. Oh, yes. God, should we start naming pets after theater people? Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, we did have Finn Manuel Miranda. He did not live long no. enough. No. He did not live long enough. I need to it's... be better at checking for worms when I pick out fish yeah. to make sure that they don't have anything. But, you know, it had been a while since I had picked out fish. Cause... And you know, Weber strikes me as more of a cat than a dog mm -hmm. anyway. Or a dog. Uh, or a goose. We could get ourselves a little gray lag and name him Weber and have him just chasing people off of our yard. <laughs> or a cat. We could do a cat named <laughs> Weber. <laughs> I'm starting to remember that I'm like, birds are hard to I was just about of. to say, I was like, do you remember your previous conversation about how while you love birds, nobody should have them as pets? Nobody should have parrots as pets. There are birds that parrots. you can have as pets, like pigeons. Who I love. Get a pigeon named Weber. Yes, a pigeon named Weber. Anyway, back to our musical theater oh, that's Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the Broadway run of G, or of By Jeeves, ran from October to December of 2001 with Akeburn directing, and only the 1996 revival has even grasped at any awards, meaning that the first one received Jack and shit. Sounds like it mostly received shit from Jack. Yes. Um, 
They were nominated for Best Musical Revival, Best Actor, and Best Costume Design for the Laurence Olivier Award, of which it received jack and shit. <laughs> hey, but it's an honor it, just to yeah, be nominated. It got nominated, at least. and It got recognized. It wasn't told yeah. to go over there in the corner and let the real musicals talk. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God! <laughs> Jesus. Oh, Lord. All right, so. I'm kind of excited about this one because it's a rarity, and yeah, I I kind of hope that because of Weber doing the show must go on, that more of his rarities come out and get re-released and stuff for people to watch, because I want to see Woman in White. I want to see The Likes of Us. I want to see School of Rock. I want to see... There's actually a show called Woman in White. The Woman in White, yeah, it's a Weber show. Oh, my God. Fuck you, Matt and Trey from South Park. (laughs) Oh, my God. Now you see why I was laughing so hard at that episode. Yeah. Spooge drenched blowjob queen. Let's call her the woman in white. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I hate my brain sometimes. Like, truly, truly, I wish I wasn't subject to my, my particular brand of stupid insanity. I have inappropriate squirrel brain. That's what I have. I have perpetual squirrel brain. <sighs> I'm, right. s- I'm so sorry for me and <laughs> the derailing. You are fine, babe, because it is time for us to finish our Weber shows and walk out of here free people until we unleash another monster <laughs> on accident. You're just like, because it'll happen. You know what, though? Double Jeopardy exists. There you go. There you go. And we can't be charged for the same crime twice. Exactly. Um, oh, God. Are you ready? You know what a musical about me would be called? What? White Man in Black. Or the idiot who married above his station. (laughs) One of the songs in that musical would be called Face Palming Black Wife. (laughs) Behind every dumbass white man is a black woman wondering why she married him. Yeah, as I was saying that, I did it for comedic intent, and then my brain went, oh no, oh, there are so many dumb white races who would never 
marry <laughs> or they're dumb white racists who would marry a black woman hoping that they can like convince her to not be black somehow see, see, i was gonna say that they have a hard time dating outside of their family so <gasps> oh oh god <laughs> Kay has to get up and do a victory lap i guess <laughs> Our new recording setup makes it so that I can walk around and laugh. <laughs> God, you have a beautiful smile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love you. I love you. All right. Thank you for providing some humor, babe. Because <laughs> I have not been able to laugh for the last, like, week. Outside of the little bits of laughter with the Cure episode and... That was with a lot of wine. <laughs> it's been a bit of a struggle. It's been a bit it's of a struggle. It's been a bad week. It's been a bad month. But we'll get through this. Oh, Lord. All right. Let's divert our minds for a little bit and go watch us some by Jeeves. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to think of something, and I just I couldn't. <laughs> hey, Warren. Hey, Kay. Do you know what time it is? Is it time to thank our favorite people in the whole world? Heck yeah! Today, we would like to thank our stage crew sponsor, Jasmine Wu. And our producer circle sponsors, Bianucci, Reagan, and Taylor Brandt. Thank you all so much for your support of our show. We truly appreciate it. The following trailer contains foul language. Listener discretion is advised. Wait, out here? You're not fucking serious, though. We are talking about history here. Glenn Benton of Deicide brand an inverted cross into his forehead, and in Norway, they burned churches and even killed each other. This? This is nothing. That's what you went with. It's not murder or arson, so we're okay. Exactly. No one's asking you to burn down churches or to kill people. Hell, we're not even killing a dog. There's no crime. We cut our hands, we perform a ritual here at the railroad crossing, and we give our souls to be the most loved black metal band in the world. Where did you get this ritual? I've been in Salem, Mass. off and on in the past year, gathering materials and books. I wrote it based on Aleister Crowley's stuff. So you made it up. It's based on Thelemite mysticism and... Bro, just admit you made it up. Merda, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. Twenty years ago, a band stood by the crossroads and made a deal for fame. But after a terrible act of violence, they disbanded on the cusp of success. Now one of them has returned, wanting to pick up where they started. Whichever path presents Chosen, our latest interactive story. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts and learn more at whicheverpath.com. And now, the lights are going down and the music's starting back up, 
so let's head back to the second act of our show. Okay, babe, so what did you think? Should that rarity stay in the mothballs, or should it be shown to everyone? I liked it. It, I, I... It's funny that Yuckburn was like, I don't like musicals. I think they're boring. So hopefully this one will be under. It's like, did this this version? Because of course we can't see the uh, the one that has been torched and had its ashes spread, you know, yeah. across the ocean. Uh, we can't see that one, but this one is was good. It yeah, was, it was funny and entertaining and i really really like the jeeves character mm -hmm. and i can kind of see i i just i i can see that trope beginning just mm -hmm. this this smart ass knowledgeable witty you know butler kind yeah of thing. he's just he's like i'm oh yes 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 you know i work for you but you know i don't need to take your shit and mm -hmm. i often have to pull your bacon off the fire you know and and just it it was entertaining. I'm glad. So, this might be one of my new favorite Weber shows. I like. I was very, very surprised. It's mm -hmm. very different from all of his other ones because uh, it's not a sung through. It's yeah. It's it it. I don't know. It's like a it plays more like a straight play, but with musical parts it's, in it. It's a traditional musical, is what it is. Okay. It's because traditional, like the way that you'll see a lot of musicals is you'll have spoken dialogue music whenever they I guess that's I guess that's fair Weber is the one who does Yeah, Weber does sung sung through Weber and then uh who we're covering next week Aren and Flaherty also do uh sung throughs a lot. So I guess yeah, I don't know. And maybe one of the reasons that I do like this one so much is it is a deviation from his normal formula mm -hmm. it is just so different from yeah. what we're used to seeing with him yeah and it also i would say is probably one of the yeah it might be the most minimalist mm -hmm. of shows that we've seen of weber's and it's perfect in that minimalism it, yeah it really it's, is it's it really fits the 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 scene it really fits the the energy of, yeah. of what's going on um Okay, okay, so I'll, okay, I'll get into it, because it'll make more sense. Yeah, yeah. God, you're cute. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, <clears throat> stop looking at your wife. Uh, <laughs> we open with a bunch of fancy and nerdy people at a fancy, nerdy shindig. <laughs> Most people are talking. One guy is whipping, is wiping down the seat. Our disembodied camera perspective person comes to the ticket taker, who is like, Oh boy, it's you! Welcome! And ushers us through a door and to a priest who welcomes us to the little Bitum church for some theater thing mm -hmm. presentation or what have you. Our POV persona gets a program and is told to enjoy the show. Almost knocks over a dude carrying a plant and is asked if he would like a spot of tea or a biscuit. A camera shake of the head leads our voiceless POV surrogate forward and onto the man who wipes chairs down. Our person, <laughs> our person proxy sits down and the pre-show begins. Person proxy. Person proxy. Yeah, because like the way that opens up is it's just first person going through this mm -hmm. building and everybody's interacting with you and you're just... It, it, honestly, it feels a little weird. Yeah, it's 
Weber and his framing device. It, yeah, it's just you're here to. It's like you're you're just going out to go see a show at this mm-hmm. church, and you paid your ticket, and you're going in and getting a snack, and here's your program, and sit down and enjoy the show and just watch. So it's like it. It. It's, I, I think it's his way of introducing the framing device that we discover the show is kind of like a, oh, I'm putting on a show, but my banjo's broke, so now I'm going to tell a story. Yeah, I I don't know if that introduction is necessary to, like, have the POV surrogate, you know, going through, or if just, like having the camera show kind of stuff as it's getting ready and then start the show. But I mean, it's, it's fine. It's yeah. fine the way it is. It's harmless. It doesn't... Like, that's that's not how it would start, of course, with a live version no, of, of it. It would probably feel more like nonsense, where it probably. just starts off and there it is. But anyway, we have our POV <laughs> camera person and they go and they take a seat. The priest from the early note runs on stage and thanks everyone for coming to the show. He introduces people one by one. That guy who welcomed you, those ladies <laughs> who took your tickets, those ladies who had snacks, the lights guy, the stage guy, and uh, Jeeves, who looks like the, the Grim Reaper in a tuxedo. <laughs> he's just very, like, poised and just the way he was kind of lurking in the background because he's because the way they have the stage set up is it's like a, a normal kind of stage, but then they have double doors on either side like to the left and right mm-hmm. proportionately uh behind the 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 guy presenting yeah and jeeves is kind of standing in the doorway like looking kind of menacing you know but he's more <laughs> just out of the way is is kind of what they're going for i think mm-hmm. the priest concludes his introduction with missing the main character mr bertram wooster who is some music man who is supposed to play a banjo, but is giving, but he's given a frying pan instead. Understandably confused, he calls upon Jeeves. Jeeves! Jeeves! Where's my banjo? <laughs> Jeeves is like, I'm afraid it was stolen, sir. Perhaps by a music lover. One who is jealous of your skills. Jeeves assures Mr. Wooster not to fret, as he's already dispatched someone to get him a new banjo. Shouldn't take longer than two hours, sir. <laughs> and he's just exactly like, long enough to do a play. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly the length of the show, basically. Booster is like, the fuck, brah? What, <laughs> what am I supposed to do to entertain these banjo-loving thespians? Jeeves suggests that perhaps an anecdote or two, a song or a dance or two. Jeeves invokes the Wooster Code, the secret trigger phrase implanted into Birdie's brain by the KGB secret sleeper program. <laughs> Unleashers Wooster's programmed skills. Birdie sings and dances, saying that he'll stick true to his code and entertain these people, even if he doesn't have his banjo. Birdie concludes his introduction song, begging the audience not to leave, as he'll entertain them, even if he doesn't have his banjo. Whatever he has to do, he'll entertain them. We get a brief back and forth with Wooster telling the tale of being a hooligan and knocking the hat off of a constable and throwing it into a fountain. You know, to see if it was waterproof. (laughs) Wooster was arrested and gave a fake name, the name of his good friend, who will be named later. Mm Mm-hmm. The not-so-entertaining song concludes with the stage crew rushing on and placing set pieces for the next scene. Some chairs, a red velvet jacket for Bertie to wear, to make him look more high-class and elegant. (laughs) Jeeves tells Bertie that this good pal and chum, Augustus Finknoddle, <laughs> is here to see him. Sorry, I'm a whole five notes into the show and I haven't made a perverted joke. Finknoddle. <laughs> C 
seems like an appropriate opportunity. Does fink noddle sound like an old English sexual position? <laughs> Remember, lads, put two in the fink and one in the noddle. <gasps> And just so you know, Kay, I even have it in here. Pause for flabbergasted reaction. <laughs> you were you were more uh, raucous laughter than uh, flabbergasted. Jesus Christ. But I will accept it. I was expecting, like, slack mouth, like, oh, my God. Did you just say that? And I'd like to remind everybody. Fellas, if your woman asks for the old fink noddle, it's two in the fink and one in the noddle. I would just like to paint the picture for everyone. Kay has turned away from the mic and just bent over themselves, just laughing and shaking. Uh, that's what I strive for. That's what I strive for. Anyways, Mr. Augustus Finknoddle, we'll call him Fink from now on, Fink has a problem, a dire, desperate, depressing problem, one that can only be solved by words of wisdom from his good, good, bestest, bestest buddy, good friend, Bertie Wooster. Fink asks Bertie if he's ever been in love. Bertie quips back with the English bachelor's motto, huh, I've been lucky enough to avoid it. Fink divulges that he's in love with a woman named Madeline Bassett, who turns out to be a judge's daughter or something. The, the same one who apparently got Fink in trouble because Wooster used his name when he was arrested for testing the waterproof properties of a stolen constable's cap. <laughs> Bertie exclaims that Fink being in love with Madeline is a big deal and ushers his friend to take a seat and tell him about it. Apparently, Fink has been unable to divulge his love to Madeline. He's just been pining over her from afar. Bertie thinks that there is hope for Fink yet. If he's too scared to ask her out, then he'll avoid that tragic, cataclysmic issue of being in love. The Bachelor <laughs> Killer. <laughs> What does make me laugh is over the course of this, uh, 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 Wooster gets very much presented as being a bit of a ladies' man, mm -hmm. and the entire time I'm kind of like, this fucking Peckerwood, like, <laughs> this Peckerwood has the women lining up, like, <laughs> really? Is it an English thing to date a posh douchebag? Like, is that... Is it the more self-assured of your own importance? Is is that what gets women excited, apparently, in England in 19-whatever-the-fuck this is? <laughs> anyway, Fink tells Bertie that Madeline's father, Mr. Bassett, is coming here, here, coming here to talk to Fink. Because Fink does not have a London address, and he can't very well make himself it look bad in, uh, to the father of the woman he wants to give his noddle to. <laughs> but there is a twist. Give his noddle! <laughs> but there is a twist. Mr. Bassett, Mr. Bassett thinks that Fink is Wooster, because in court, Wooster posed as Fink. So now Fink can't be Fink and get together with the daughter of the judge who thinks Fink is a no-good hat-stealing hooligan. <laughs> Wooster Fink... <laughs> this, it's it's going to get a little wacky here. Oh, God. Wooster Fink dislikes that he can't be Bertie Wooster, and Fink Wooster is like, well, tough shit. You borrowed my name, so I need that. I need to borrow yours until I get together with that sweet honey, Madeline Bassett. <sighs> the doorbell rings, and Mr. Bassett is here to check out uh, this Mr. Fink Wooster. 
I'm regretting the way that I wrote some of these. Because <laughs> reading them back is a little problematic. Jeeves hides Wooster Fink under some coats and has him do his best impression of a coat rack in order to hide from Mr. Bassett, who would surely notice him from the hat-stealing crime. Fink Wooster and Mr. Bassett take a seat and attempt to make polite conversation, but since Fink Wooster is so nervous to impress his potential father-in-law, he just comes off as a blumbering fool. Mr. Bassett notices the coat rack, and his keen judge's mind deduces that that coat racks don't have human feet and legs. <laughs> he decides to bark orders at the coat rack. If it's Jeffrey Dahmer's, it does. Ha 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 ha! Up high. That's f- that's great. <laughs> oh fuck. Um, where was I? Uh, uh, uh. The uh, human feet. Yes. Yes, the his, Dahmer rack. His, his king judge's mind deduces that coat racks don't have human feet and legs. He decides to bark orders at the coat rack, soiling himself under Mr. Bassett's booming, sorry, soiling himself under Mr. Bassett's booming authoritative voice. Woosterfink reveals that he was hiding under the coats because uh, he's uh, testing how heavy they are or some shit. Mr. Bassett <laughs> is like, I recognize you. You're that hat-stealing hooligan. And Mr. Bassett tells Fink Wooster to call the police to arrest this hardened criminal. <laughs> Jeeves saves the day by being like, Oh, Mr. Fink, I thought you'd already left, sir. Here, let me show you out. Jeeves uses his polite English mind tricks to deflect the ju- <laughs> the, uh, to deflect the judicial rage of Mr. Bassett and the pants and the pants soiling uncertainty of Fink Wooster, who leaves the flat with the intent of rendezvousing with Madeline at some fancy thing, most certainly. So, so, <laughs> so Finknoddle, posing as Wooster, told his prospective uh, 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 gene incubator that <laughs> father of his potential gene incubator that he was Wooster because uh, he can't be himself, and so he gives the address of his friend's house to like have the guy come over and, and meet him, and the two chat politely before driving together to some fancy shindig. <gasps> Woosterfink. Woosterfink. <laughs> I wrote that wrong. Okay. Woosterfink went f- for a jolly good drive, but they're on stage, so the stage crew brings out a, a Brit-rigged car... <laughs> Which is a couch, some boxes, and a steering wheel that's not attached. Jeeves narrates for Woosterfink while Woosterfink makes vroom vroom noises with his mouth until he realizes that he's not the center of attention. Woosterfink has a song about how he likes to drive, I think. And this was Travel Hopefully, which I love this song. It's just a nice lighthearted... Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. It was a good transition song because it's basically him driving from his own home to go to that same fancy Mm -hmm. shindig. Uh, but he's like taking side roads because he doesn't side roads because he doesn't want to run into uh, Fink Noddle and and Mister and Judge Bassett. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. So uh, Fink Wooster Fink has a song about how he likes to drive. I think while the stage crew tries their best to simulate the thrill of the open road, the nice drive is cut short with some vehicular manslaughter, ah! attempted manslaughter. A bumpity bump, and Mr. F- and Wooster Fink is like, I hit something, I think. Or no, I think I hit something. Jeeves is like, a person, sir. 
Wooster Fink is like, crap, I guess I have to check on that, and gets out of the car. Really, that's a line of his. Like, he yeah. hits this guy and he goes, I guess I have to check on that. Yep. And he gets out of his car. The poor clod he hit is moaning in that his legs are broken. Wooster Fink is like, well, it sounds like you'll need a splint. Unfortunately, I don't carry splints on me. Sorry, old chap. The almost roadkill is like, how about you help me into your car, you sod? <laughs> Booster Fink rolls the almost corpse over to reveal <laughs> it's his it's one of his oldest friends, Bingo. Bingo reveals that he's not actually injured, just faking it cuz he's a pathetic chode who was doing this <laughs> charity <laughs> who's doing this charity called Hiking for Hedgehogs. The objective is to raise money to build a tunnel for them to cross the road since they migrate for mating purposes and end up splatty splat on the road. Have you ever seen Animals of Farthing Wood. No. They have a scene with that with hedgehogs. I recall the story of my mom talking about uh, when she was college age and having to drive along this road that groundhogs, mm-hmm. when they would be coming out for mating, they would just be all over the road. There'd just yeah. be splatted groundhogs, and she's sitting there swerving, trying her best to avoid all these groundhogs. <laughs> yeah, uh, when they had that hedgehog line, I was I just had... These mo- this flashback to childhood and seeing animals of farthing wood and just being like, Mr. and Mrs. Hedgehog. Is that the one that they just lay down on the road? Because Mrs. Hedgehog curls up and she's scared. It- it's So Mr. I- Hedgehog comes over to comfort her. And, just... and he just basically is like, well, I'll stay here with you. And they both get hit. And it's, <laughs> it's <clears throat> animals of farthing wood is depressing as fuck. This is why the English... See, see, the... This is the difference between uh, different cultures. In America, parents want to try and shelter their children from everything negative. Unless they're Don Bluth. Uh, (laughs) But then, if you go across the pond to England, they're like, no, you need to learn that the world is a fucked up place that will kick the shit out of your happiness. (laughs) See these bunnies? See these bunnies? They're gonna get gassed. Exactly, exactly. And so you get get things like... It's full of blood. Exactly. Watership down, animals of farthing wood. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. See? Plague dogs, but that's technically not for kids. The so. British hate children. <laughs> Back on the topic of Bingo, the almost corpse, <laughs> Bingo laments that he's behind the rest of the 200-person group, including Bingo's crush, Honor... Was, oh, sh- Honor- Honoria. Honor- well, Honoria. Honoria. I spelled it correctly mm-hmm. because we had subtitles for this, Uh that's a fucking name I had not heard until this show. <laughs> You're so, right. Honoria. Honoria. It's spelled honor I A. So Yeah. Honoria. British names. I actually what what I was saying that mm, British names are weird. I actually do think it's a cool name. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is a cool it, name, but yeah. it's like these names, you're like Oh god. It it reminded me of uh god damn it. Sorry, side tangent. Reminds me of Scrubs. When uh, Turk and Carla are talking about names for a child, you know, for a mm-hmm. daughter, and he's like, and Turk's like, you know, it's a name I've always liked for a girl, Honor, and stuff. And Carla's like, you can't name her that. Is all the boys are going to be like, oh, I got Honor. Did you get Honor? Mm-hmm. And then Turk goes, yeah, I got Honor. She's easy. Stop that! You're talking about your daughter. It's like, oh God. <laughs> so anyway, oh Jesus, Bingo's crush. <laughs> 
Honoria, who from a twist of fate is Woosterfink's former fiance. Woosterfink gets the idea to load Bingo into his car and help him cheat his way to the finish line <laughs> and help throw Bingo into Honoria's heart. Woosterfink and Bingo bongo about the highway and byways for a while <laughs> before stopping to be like, well, old chap, I do say we're lost. Bingo gives Woosterfink shit for not knowing where he's going, even after the whole highway and byways talk. Because he has this whole thing of like, oh, I know all these roads, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. and then he gets fucking lost. <laughs> Bingo is then like, wait, wait, that's Honoria. She's coming this way. She can't see me or she'll know I'm a cheating chode who doesn't really care about hedgehogs, but only wants to hog his way into her hedges. <laughs> Booster Fink has Bingo hide in the trunk of his car, just in the nick of time before Honoria comes over like, Bertram? Bertram, is that you? What a nice surprise! I haven't seen you in ages! Booster Fink tries to, uh, to be pretend polite, but accidentally comes off as flirting to Honoria, who tells Wooster Fink about her recent troubles with stepping on a hedgehog and having some quills rudely stick in her foot. Honoria asks Bertie, Bertie Woosterfink to give her a ride to the hospital. <laughs> Along the way, Honoria keeps making eyes and lips at Woosterfink as he still, as she still obviously carries a hog in her hedges for him. Oh, God! Every time they pass something, she's like, that could have been us. Okay, yeah, every time they pass something, she's like, that could have been us. Once... The one-sided love-struck pair arrive at a hospital, and Honoria grabs her bag from the bingo trunk and hobbles her way into the hospital. You bastard! Bingo erupts from the... Bingo angrily erupts from the confines of the trunk to spew a volley of angry words at Woosterfink, who he accuses of trying to steal his woman. Bingo stomps off angrily, and Woosterfink is left holding his hedgehog and insisting... <laughs> He had no interest in Honoria. Holding his hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> Woosterfink finds his... I, I guess I had to make up for... Uh, Not the, being allowed to... The lack of sex jokes I had in... in yeah. Uh, 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 Fun, Fun Home. home. Mm. Woosterfink finds his way to... Totley? Was it Totley yeah, Towers? Yeah, Totley Towers. Finds his way to Totley Towers, Mr. Bassett's country home where he's invited people for a fancy shindig or something. While Wooster Fink is mulling about trying not to run into Mr. Bassett, he runs into an unwelcome sight, an American. <laughs> Cyrus Bu... Was that? Budge. Budge. It was Budge. Okay. Mm -hmm. The way I spelled it, I want to say bouge. So, he runs into Cyrus Budge, a jam seller from the States, who is hoping to increase his earnings by selling to the English. He hears that the English are big jam consumers. Cyrus is also carrying a full jar of jam for Madeline Bassett, who apparently everyone has a boner for. <laughs> Cyrus goes off stage to play some tennis, and Jeeves announces the next person who will enter the scene, a woman named Stiffy. I'll let the joke settle itself. Stiffy apparently lured Woosterfink there by falsely announcing her engagement to Woosterfink in the paper. I don't know if that was mentioned earlier. I probably missed it. So. I don't think it was. Okay, because I was surprised when he shows up at Totley Towers and he runs into Stiffy and she's like, Haha, you're here because I lied about us getting engaged and it's in the papers. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh, did I 
miss that? And I guess part of this is also in the Code of the Woosters story, but, like, this one's more of an amalgam of Wooster and Jeeves stories, whereas the original was just, like, this is the Code of the Woosters. Enjoy four hours of that. (laughs) Code of the Woosters. I'll show you the Code of the Woosters. Uh, Oh, that's right. We're talking about Stiffy. So Stiffy apparently lured Woosterfink there by falsely announcing her engagement to Woosterfink in the paper. Uh, Woosterfink chases Stiffy through the halls of Totley until he corners her and inquires just what the hell this is all about. Stiffy confesses that she's actually in love with Harold Pinker. Unfortunately, Stiffy's uncle is a hard-ass who won't let her marry Pinker the Stinker because he's not rich, and he breaks things. And his name is, like, his nickname is Pinker the Stinker. Yeah, Pinker the Stinker. (laughs) So thank you, Kay, for... That way people are like, oh, that's a lame joke that... No, No, that is the name. Yeah. People who... People jokingly call Pinker Stinker, so there's Mm -hmm. behind his back, you know. You have a thought, Kay? Two and a pinker. One in the stinker. <laughs> That's where I got my Fink novel. Two in the Fink, one in the novel. <laughs> Stiffy insists that Pinker is the kind of person who is just shy, and when he gets shy, he breaks things. <laughs> the one-man Pinker tornado is Stiffy's one true love, and if she can't have him, her heart will be broken. Wooster Fink is like, well, tough shit. <laughs> Stiffy first tries to be flirty, implying through her body language that she will take Woosterfink's pinker hog in her stiffy hedges <laughs> if Woosterfink can help her land Harold the Pinker Stinker as a husband. <laughs> Too many nicknames in this. Okay. <laughs> Woosterfink's declining. Woosterfink declines again, and Stiffy is like, you want me as a friend with benefits and not an enemy. And she says that too, like, mm-hmm. friend with benefits. I'm trapped in I'm trapped in love's maze, and if I don't get out, I'll go insane. Stiffy sings about being trapped in love's maze, and some maids come out to sing with Stiffy and slap Woosterfink with shawls and sh- with shawls and sleeves because of the gowns they're wearing. So. Mm-hmm. The song ends with Stiffy looking longingly into Woosterfink's eyes, only for him to be like, "No." <laughs> so she does this whole song and dance about getting out of love's maze and how she needs his help and da 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 and then ends it with just this really thirsty flirty look Mm -hmm. you know basically like help me and i'll help you yeah he's just no stiffy throws a hissy fit and tries to blackmail wooster fink with threats of ruining his friend fink wooster's chances with madeline wooster fink is like fine okay i'll help stiffy is like Great, stay here. I'll bring Harold later and we'll tell you our plan. (laughs) Woosterfink doesn't want to sit and think about how to help Stiffy and Stinker and tries to find his way out of Love's Maze, which, it turns out, is a real hedge maze. He's lost for a while, but is finally rescued by Mr. Bassett, who comes out onto the balcony and is like, Fink, Wooster! Woosterfink! Whoever the fuck you are, that cap-stealing hooligan, get out of my hedge maze. The secret combo is up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, A, B, start. (laughs) And then I have a note in here that says insert back and forth joke about confusing left and right. Um, Oh, God. I think I initially had written that being like, no, 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 I said up, down, no, no, but... I think the joke itself is good there. The joke is good as is. <laughs> so I won't, I won't subject, 
I almost said I won't subjugate our listeners. I won't subject our listeners <laughs> to more up, down, up, down, left, right. Boosterfink finds his way out of the maze and to the manor where he runs into Cyrus again. The scene quickly becomes an English version of who the fuck is on first and who in God's name is on second. As Fink Wooster comes in and Mr. Bassett has to deal with Fink, has to deal with Fink is Wooster and Wooster is Fink. As Cyrus tries to clear the jam in his brain from all this identity uncertainty, (laughs) Madeline comes and further confuses everyone by calling Fink Wooster and Wooster Fink the wrong names. Her father pushes the matter and Cyrus corners Wooster Fink, forcing him to come up with another lie. He's he's not really Fink Noddle. He's Mr. Little, Mr. Bingo Little. And that should <laughs> that should prevent any further, oh, hello. Oh, fuck. Honoria comes in with the real Mr. Bingo, and Wooster Fink Little has to jump in to be like, Bing, here, it's real August Fink Noddle. Are you Gussie? God, wow, I went way too crazy with the nicknames in here. I'm forgetting who's who now. <laughs> Bingo Fink stares blankly into the audience and the other cast, blinking with enough force to take flight and escape this awkward situation. Bingo Fink is like, yep, that's me. And Wooster Fink, Bingo, and Jeeves go off the scene to have a smoke. And we're treated to our intermission. Note to self, if we're doing a show where people are pretending to be other people i'm not gonna do this again because <laughs> it'll be too fucking confusing to read back <laughs> we come back from intermission and jeeves recaps everyone the situation it's currently 9 45 p.m and everyone is pretending to be everyone and shit is totally fucked <laughs> the real birdie gussie and bingo gather to talk about how shit is totally fucked <laughs> Bingo bongos all over Birdie's face, telling him how he's, how this is all his fault. Because Honoria told Bingo that she's still in love with Birdie and that he's the only man she could ever love. Gussie then has his turn of bongoing Birdie about how he's bungled this entire situation. Birdie is like, Jeeves, what do? (laughs) We've run out of narrative. Jeeves is on the balcony above and is like, I believe I have a solution, sir. I'm a badass and hilarious, and I've been carrying the show even though I'm hardly talked about in this Yankee's notes. (laughs) I shall descend this balcony, make my glorious entrance, and subsequently save this motherfucking day. The mixed name trio sings about how Jeeves is going to save the day. Jeeves makes his entrance, and the trio fill him in on the situation. They say, what's the answer, Jeeves? Jeeves is like, I'm afraid there's no clear solution to this present matter. Now, if you'll excuse me, sir, I must unpack. (laughs) Jeeves leaves the room, and Bertie is like, the old man has failed me the first and last time. It's time for him to put, it's time for me to put him out of my misery. Just kidding. Jeeves went around and came back up behind Bertie, cutting off his griping about Jeeves, uh, cutting off his griping about Jeeves' inability to solve their immediate problem. Jeeves came to deliver a letter to Bertie from Honoria. Bingo curses Bertie for stealing his love, for stealing his love from him, and Bertie is like, "Oh, she she just wanted to help pay for the petrol." From earlier, from from her earlier ride to the hospital. Birdie reads the letter and swiftly crumples and tosses it. <laughs> the stage device fills us in and we see Honoria burst through a window, illuminated by a spotlight to fill it, fill us in on what was in the letter 
that she wrote to Bertie. She tells Bertie to come to her room ASAP and help her put a hog in her hedges. <laughs> Bingo is about ready to bust a testicle in rage. <laughs> But instead, he says he's going to drown himself. <laughs> and he rushes off stage to commit suicide. Spoiler, he, he doesn't. He comes back later, but... I had to take a sip of my water so Kay could laugh. Oh, God. <laughs> Madeline passes through the stage, screaming as she runs away from Cyrus, who exclaims that he doesn't know what's wrong with this girl. One moment she seems to want him, but he put his arm around her and she freaked out. Fink hears this and loses his English gentlemanly cool, challenging Cyrus to a fight. Cyrus stalks over to the to stare down Fink, being like, you sure you want to fight me? I'm fit, super fit. You see my tall toned body under this suit? Fink calls him a jam pot or some half flaccid English insult. <laughs> And Cyrus is like, you want to fight? You'll get a fight right here, midnight. Be there or I'll hunt you down and hunt you for sport, just like I do in America. Then he stomps off stage. Surely, <laughs> then he stomps off stage, surely going to his room to work out and prepare to kill a man. Oh. Fink runs off stage upset about his impending doom. Bertie laments about the complicated situation and Jeeves is like, well, sir, it would seem to me that Honoria loves you, but not Bingo. Not so much you can do to change a woman's mind, sir. However, Madeline is attempting to force Fink's hand to tell her that he loves her by using her age-old jealousy tactic. Unfortunately, it seems to have backfired and will surely result in Mr. Finknottle's impending death at the hands of the jam peddler. You <laughs> could say he found himself in a sticky situation. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Let's hope the conflict is not preserved. Or I do say it will be a very awkward situation later <laughs> when Fink is on the ground, his jaw half a jar. <laughs> anyway, sir, perhaps you should go talk to Madeline and tell her that Fink does love her. But since he's, he's an extra squishy, useless chode, he can't tell her. Bertie goes to see Madeline and tell her what Jeeves told him to do. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Madeline is like, Shit is messed up, Bertie Gussie Bingo Bert. I don't really think Gussie loves me. Bertie wingmans the shit out of the scene and is like, Gussie loves you. Yes, he loves you. Even if he sputters and trips over his tongue. After all, love is complicated. Over the course of the song, Madeline thinks Bertie is saying that he wants to be with Madeline, and when he has her close her eyes and wait for a big surprise, he sneaks in Fink to have him plant a kiss on her. When Fink does offer up a little chicken peck, Madeline exclaims, Oh, Bertie! <laughs> Bertie! Bertie! Fink cries like a sad boy and runs off stage. Madeline is like, Oh no, Bertie! and runs off stage the other way. Bertie is like, things could not be worse. And enters Cyrus to be like, you fiend, I saw that. You're trying to, pro to procure Madeline for your own immoral purposes. You know what we do in America? You know what we do to people like you in America? We lynch them. Cyrus then- That's the exact line. <laughs> Cyrus then tells Bertie to be here at midnight so he can do something between beating him up, do something between beating him up to murdering him. Mm-hmm. Bertie sing whines to Jeeves, singing that this is all Jeeves's fault for not having a solution to the grave that keeps digging, 
for not having a solution to the grave that he keeps digging for himself. Mm -hmm. What have you got to say, Jeeves? Jeeves gives a very rapid-fire apology that I cannot hope to give justice to in this uh, (laughs) recreation. Jeeves furthers the plot for Bertie after Bertie is like, What happens next? And a surprise entrance comes from Stiffy. (laughs) A surprise entrance from Stiffy. God damn it, Warren. (laughs) And her herald. Who yell at Bertie for not being around to hear about the master plan to get the two of them together. They tell Bertie that they want him to pretend to burgle Totley Towers so that Harold the Stinker can apprehend Bertie and pretend to foil a burglary to convince Stiffy's uncle to let her marry him. (laughs) Man, the English are complex. The two lovers make eyes at one another, talking about how this plan has to work, how they can't keep up this charade of not being together. Bertie sees what's going on and excuses himself to take a seat with the audience, as Stinker serenades Stiffy about how much he loves her. Hmm. I wonder how you get a stinky stiff or st- stinker Stiffy. <laughs> You're face is so goddamn great. You can totally cut this out. It just was a, a, a an intruding thought. <sighs> okay. So Bertie, Bernie leaves the, uh, oh, sorry, I wrote it down as Bernie. Bertie leaves the, uh, the stage, sits with the audience so that he can let uh, Stinker serenade Stiffy about how much he loves her. The song concludes with a loving kiss between the two and Bertie tear, uh, Tears in his eyes says to the audience, With love like that, who can say no? And Stiffy's like, So you'll do it? No! cries Bertie. <laughs> after someone yelling, they convince after some yelling, they convince Bertie to go forward with the burglary. Stiffy and Stinker thank Bertie, remind him of the plan, and rush off stage. Jeeves comes back to be like, Do you need any help, sir? And Bertie is like, Yes, please, I'm useless without you, Jeeves, even if I won't admit it. Jeeves comes back with a ladder and a mask, and is like, Here you are, sir. All the tools to carry out your sleuthing. Bertie begins his uh, perilous climb, and the ladder rocks back and forth, before crashing forward into the window, donning his piggy mask. Bertie (laughs) steals... That's the mask that he gave him, it was a pig mask. Bertie uh, steals into the room with the stealth of a cat in a pig mask. (laughs) Surveying the room, the faux thief identifies the location of a pre-prepared thieving goods, which lie under a bed. As Bertie tries to obtain the goods, he wakes the bed's occupant, who is Honoria! Honoria bursts into song and battles the pig-faced burglar. The battle wakes Madeline and Mr. Bassett, as well as Fink. The group continues to hunt the burglar pig. The <laughs> wannabe Scooby-Doo crew <laughs> pursue the pig off stage, and the Bird scene. The pig. Oh, burglar pig. The, the, I got such Scooby-Doo vibes from this whole thing because they're like running back around. They're talking about hunt the pig, hunt the pig, hunt mm-hmm. the pig, and they're like, you know, going in and out of doors, and people come out. It was a fucking Scooby-Doo scene. <laughs> and the scene Soinks. is yeah, Soinks battle. I'm there's a pig around here. The scene changes to Cyrus, shadowboxing, preparing for the later thrashings he plans on doing. Harold Stinker comes in to uh, fulfill the ploy and apprehend the pig and the ill-gotten gains within. Harold Stinker accidentally knocks Cyrus out with the bag of loot, and Cyrus falls into the fountain. 
Birdie tries to flee, but is caught by Fink with a broom, who sweeps the pig burglar back and right into Bingo, who is currently holding a boulder and whining that a man can't drown himself in peace. <laughs> Bingo and Fink manage to knock the pig onto the fountain and tie him up. The entire crowd descends on the apprehended criminal as they prepare to unmask him. Birdie <laughs> cries, Jeeves! <laughs> and the scene freezes. Birdie cries to have Jeeves fix this, and he apologizes for ever doubting Jeeves. And Jeeves saves the day by spinning the fountain around so that it looks like Cyrus is the unmasked pig burglar. Time resumes as normal, and the entire cast is shocked, shocked, I tell you, that Cyrus is the burglar. Mr. Bassett thanks Harold for subduing the criminal, and all the different girls introduce their prospective mates to Mr. Bassett. It's since old he... man Cyrus. It's a... Soinks, it's old man Cyrus all along. That's right. He wanted to steal the loot to further his jam business. I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling Brits. <laughs> there you go. Oh, god damn it. Okay, where was I? All the different girls introduce their prospective mates to Mr. Bassett. Since his uh, frazzled, since in his frazzled state, he's likely to be more receptive. The cast introduces themselves to each other with their real names, and all the people that Bertie was beguiled into helping, uh, use it, that he was beguiled into helping, yeah, tell him he's useless and almost ruined everything. It seems that while Bertie escaped being apprehended as a thief, but instead is belittled for being a useless chode. <laughs> Because they're all just, because basically he got, he got, he had his fingers in too many pies, so to speak. And then when everybody was like, you fucking ruined our pie. <laughs> Get your mind out of the gutter, Kay. Gah. Oh. Uh, Jeeves tells Bertie that there is one good bit of news. His new banjo has arrived. Bertie is excited to get his new banjo and is like, what should I play? Jeeves recommends the opening number, since it was never played. One problem, though, the banjo doesn't seem to produce any sound. Jeeves assures Bertie that the banjo has special strings that are all but silent to the player, but deafeningly, deafeningly loud to everyone but the player. <laughs> Bertie falls for it and proceeds to banjo the opening song, accompanied by a full cast choir. The the entire cast slash choir do a mega mix of the show's songs. The cast bows, and Birdie runs back and forth trying to get in the spotlight to take a bow. Birdie finally does, doing multiple bows to the crowd. Overstaying his welcome, Jeeves comes out to usher him backstage. The end. D you failed to mention what they were all wearing. <laughs> they were all in the Wizard of Oz outfits from back behind oh, scene. I I totally... Uh, I did forget to mention so that. Weird. So weird. <laughs> it's so great, the, though. That's at the Mega Mix part, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when they do the Mega Mix part, there's just people running back and forth on and off stage, coming out and then singing parts, and then it just transitions. Like, it's just, mm. it's, that's probably why I didn't mention it, is because there was so much going on. I was probably yeah. just like, because it was sort of like the stagehands <laughs> were helping put yeah. on the show with him. And so then when they come out, they're just. <laughs> Wizard of Oz costumes. Because it sounds like from the, the context of the show is he was supposed to just have a banjo performance. He was just supposed to do like a one-man concert and just play songs mm -hmm. for people. He didn't have his banjo. So instead he had to get all of the 
the uh, uh, helpers, uh, like all the uh, stage crew, as well as like the ushers and like yeah. people who are taking tickets and giving treats, like just all the workers there to play all the characters in this, uh-huh. you know, retelling of events from his life. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, I th- I thought the show was pretty great. I loved like, it. <laughs> it. It's it's so unexpected for Weber, uh, at least from what I know mm-hmm. of Weber. And I enjoyed it so much more than so many of his other shows. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Weber needs to do more stuff kind of like this. Like, yeah. I know that sung through musicals are kind of his thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know. I just, I, I really enjoyed this. It was fun. Well, and as you'll find when we do shows like Once on This Island and uh, Ragtime, Sung throughs or mostly sung throughs can be done well. I, and I don't doubt that. It's the spectacle that Weber tends to focus on. So when it's a case of you strip it down away from the spectacle, then it makes it better. Because this one has to stand on its own, kind of, instead of standing on, like, giant elaborate sets and yeah. roller skating like Starlight <laughs> Express. And boob windows. And boob windows. Or uh, standing on the uh, tearing down of a previous hit with Love Never Dies. <sighs> I still can't believe that fucking exists. Yeah. Yeah. But like it. Weber scaled down is really fun. Like Joseph is one that when you see it on stage and it's different from the filmed version. Uh, which the filmed version is closer to what you would see if you see it on tour or on Broadway. But like most places that do Joseph, it's very scaled down and it can be enjoyable and fun. Whereas like you can't really scale down things like Starlight. So this is an excellent Weber show that maybe some more theater groups should be doing this one when they're wanting to do a Weber show. You know, really, because the way that they do this one is it seems like it's primed for community theater mm-hmm. because the sets are so minimalist yeah. and it plays into the the show because, like, you know, the guy was supposed to do a concert, shit is fucked, his banjo got stolen, mm-hmm. and so now he has to improvise. And so, yeah. like, when he needs a car, they're, like, pulling random things that they have backstage to, like create what they need yeah and so it just works really well it really really works in favor and that way you can because i know that you talked about uh with the snoopy and charlie brown Mm -hmm. musicals that like minimalist is definitely uh, kind of their uh uh, motif yeah kind of thing that's the thing reason that community theaters will do them because it's cheaper to do it yeah this is like one of those same ones i think the most Mm -hmm. expensive thing would probably be uh well i mean the set but costumes because you know a lot Mm -hmm. of it is like nice suits and stuff like that looking fancy and whatnot and those you'll often community theaters will often still have on hand yeah yeah so it's it's the kind of thing that a lot of community theaters would be able to do without Mm -hmm. having to probably make a lot of changes yeah and it's it's fun it's entertaining and i i do like how wooster isn't wooster's the star but he's not the hero well actually no i'd say jeeves is more of the star like wooster Wooster is supposed to be the star, but the mm-hmm. real star is Jeeves. Yeah. And and I Wooster makes me laugh a bit because he's so self-assured and he's very selfish and it's mm-hmm. all about him. He's the the big important person and Jeeves is just his butler, you know. Yeah. But but he doesn't Wooster doesn't come out on top. Yeah. Like, at the very end. Like it makes me laugh how 
you know, he kind of gets coerced or bribed or guilted into trying to help, you know, his supposed friends. Yeah. And then he gets blamed for uh, cucking up the whole thing. (laughs) And it's, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's definitely, if you can get your hands on it and watch it, Mm -hmm. it is absolutely worth a watch. It is without a doubt one of my more favorite Weber shows. Absolutely, I agree. And I think that there might be the ability to get it on eBay. I have not been able to find it on Amazon. The only time we were able to see it was when it was streaming with the uh, show Must Goes On. You know, and Shows the, Must Go uh, On. The thing that drives me nuts about that is it's like, if it's not currently being done kind of thing, it's like, whatever, why not? Why not fucking give that copy to Broadway HD and be like, okay, I guess, yeah. you know, I get a dollar for every view or whatever. I'd rather watch that than Love Never Dies. Oh, it, oh. Oh, I never thought I would hate a show as much as I hate Love Never Dies. Grease is better than Love Never Dies. Right? At least it's memorable. <laughs> Spider, well, Spider-Man is better than Love Never Dies because at least it has Spider-Man and it has some cool, mm-hmm. you know, uh, stage stuff, you know, and, yeah. and, and just... Uh, Starlight Express is better than Love Never Dies because yes, it's because it's, it's at least unique and <laughs> yeah. it has, you know, unique choreography and it at least has some imagination to it mm-hmm. or just uh uh where do you put the musical that shall not be named oh, compared god. to love never dies oh god um then again you haven't seen it i in haven't a while. seen it in a long long time uh i don't know it's been a long time since i've seen it but because of how long it's been since i've seen carousel uh I would say that it's better than Love Never Dies because I don't have any fresh, horrifying memories of Carousel. Mm-hmm. Just the memory of that one line that made you go, fuck this show. Yeah. A little kid hearing, he hit me, but it felt like a kiss. No. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, come over here. I'm about to fucking kiss you a lot. <laughs> <sighs> Do better, Hammerstein. Yeah, Do better. And Rogers. Uh to beat Rogers and Hammerstein with a hammer named Rogers. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, I'm glad that you liked it because it was, it was fun. It was, it was fun. It was a nice, fun it, show. Th- this is one that I think has more, uh, I was going to say replayability, more re- rewatch, more of a rewatch factor. Yeah. yeah like, it, this is one that I could very much see just kind of having on. Like, it, yeah. It, yeah, it's, there's, it, there's nothing harmful about it there's nothing i wouldn't say there's anything particularly uh engaging or uh jaw-dropping about it it is it is a funny safe entertaining musical it's a popcorn musical that's a great way of putting it it's it's kind of like a it's almost like a rom-com yeah musical you know, because you got all these different, you know, lovebirds trying to do their things, but the main mm-hmm. character, you know, wants nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. It's more calm than rom, but there's rom in the calm. Very well put. Very well put, Kate. Why, thank you. Uh-huh. So, are you ready for what we're covering next? Yes, because it's not Weber. <laughs> so, next week... Um... Oh, God, that's right. Racism. Oh, uh... Oh. I never thought I would want to watch Weber. Uh, well, I'm going to take some of the pain off for you with next week because 
while we are going to be watching Ragtime, the version that we're watching is one that I was in. <gasps> How it, old were you in this one? I was 20. Oh, so it must have been like right before right we met. Right before we met. Yeah. Cool. So, um, I this is... I haven't seen this yet, but yeah. Yeah, I, I could have sworn that we showed it to you, but I, I don't I think... I think you showed me scenes. I, okay, think, I, saw, I maybe. think I saw snippets of it that your mm -hmm. mom had recorded, but mm -hmm. I... I don't think you guys ever took the cast recording and played it for me. Yeah, and so this is going to be... <laughs> I think part of it was because of the context. You're like, yeah, we don't we don't need to give Warren an aneurysm. I just barely started dating him. Like, yeah, <laughs> I need to get a ring on my finger and at least in his will before <laughs> he busts a blood vessel in his brain. So um, the version we'll be watching is going to be a concert version. I really wish I could get a hold of the one from when I was in Hale because that version is also amazing. If, if for any, if, if in any possible way, the hail or the deet lines can get us a copy of ragtime and maybe once on this island or civil war that I was in, I would die of happiness. Like I would come back cause I would, but like, I would just be so happy because a, then you could see them, and B, then we could talk about them. and Because mm -hmm. they were... God, that... Ragtime is one of those most important shows to me. I I know a little bit about it, mm -hmm. but not very much because I've... 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 Rage. Just I've uh -huh. flames inside my brain. Yeah, and, and tears in my heart because of stuff going on right now. Honestly, I feel like it's that's, very apropos. Yeah, and that's a show that God, I wish that they would release the archive video of that right now on Broadway HD or Broadway on demand, just because that show, holy fuck, it yeah. is. It's a good show, but but it hurts. It hurts, and so... Will this be the show that breaks the curse of the witch for Warren? Probably not. <laughs> but, uh... There will be lots of yelling, probably. <laughs> there will be a lot of yelling. Ugh. But, well... You won't need the screaming pillow, because it's not part of Black History Month, because... So I can say fuck. <laughs> you can say fuck. None of it is written by black people. It's, uh, based on a book written by E.L. Doctorow, and then, uh... The, yeah, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. But anyway, yeah, next week will be ragtime. It'll be a rare uh, you reacting to something I've been in on our podcast because outside of bonus episodes for patrons, that's not a thing that we do. Yeah, Norm, and the reason because is I love you and mm -hmm. I think that you're really cute and anything you're in, I automatically gush over. And mm -hmm. yeah, but... Yeah, so, and that's because that's when you'd be like, oh, well, it's you, of course you like it. Your wife's in it. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, yeah, because you're awesome. So, <laughs> of course you. I love it. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see with this one, though. Yep. Will I love seeing my wife in Racism the Musical? Or raci Racism, one of the musicals. Racists suck the musical. It's what it should be. Racists suck something. It's, it's a good show. God, ra if, okay, so in preparation, if y'all haven't listened to Ragtime, listen to the original Broadway cast. It is on Spotify. It 
yeah, y'all. Whew. Whew. Big heavy? It, it is the first act, mm, slight heavy. Then it goes into big heavy. And then the sec it, it's very Sondam-esque. Ah, so we're we're gonna get faux sondamized in the next one. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get faux sondamized, and I've and noticed that that's a little bit of a thing with a Ren and Flaherty too, which you haven't. You've only seen one of their shows, and that is Susical. Apples and oranges from Mars and Venus. That's, yes, that's and they uh, <laughs> the other shows that they have done. There are a few that, like, <laughs> you'll have the first act be up here, and then something will happen either at the start of the, f- or at the end of the first act, or at some point in the second act that just makes you go, <laughs> or in the case of Once on this Island, right in the last part of the second act, and then you're just like, <gasps> oh. Please don't die. Second act of Once on this Island is kind of a fuck you. (laughs) Like, it's... I love Once on this Island, too. (laughs) God. Anyway, so yeah, we're gonna do ragtime. You adorable angsty fuck. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we'll do ragtime, and then because it's available on Broadway... On demand, we're also going to be doing Allegiance this month, um, which is George Takei's musical. Oh, ooh. so yeah. Like I said, we're uh, except oh, I know that. Oh God, yeah, we're doing big heavy hurt. this yeah. month, but I, I think it's yeah, it's, it's fair. It's needed. It is needed. So yeah, thank y'all for listening. Hope you all enjoyed this uh, episode. My brain. But what is this? This is an episode. This is an episode. This is an episode. Um, yeah, I hope y'all enjoyed this. Uh, again, please be safe out there. Um, and keep fighting the good fight, y'all. Um, if you want to contact us, you can reach out to our home base, which is tonedeafmusical.com. We have links to all of our social medias, our Facebooks, our Twitters, our Instagrams, yep. as well as the link to the Cast Junkie Discord server, where we have our own Not Safe for Work channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're welcome to jump in there and say hi, and even talk about things that are safe for work. Yes. It's and... just, we just have that disclaimer, because I'm fucking obscene. So. <laughs> and uh, there's other amazing podcasts and podcasters on there as well. There's oh Whichever Path. There are so there's many. There's Ninth World Journal. And, y- you know... there's. Speaking of which, there's a lot of really good podcasters of color on that network as mm-hmm, well. So mm-hmm. it's it's a really great community. People are fantastic. They're friendly. They're supportive, and it's amazing. Can't can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, come and check it out and discover a bunch of podcasts that you didn't know you needed in your life. Absolutely. Um, and if you need face masks, uh, we've got them on our T Public, which is Tone Deaf Musical on T Public. Um, I think I need to get one that says "fuck racists" and just wear that out. We do need that as a mask, actually. Yeah. <sighs> That'll be it, though. Until next week, when it's a little bit heavier, a little bit bigger, heavy, a little bit bigger, heavy. So, like <laughs> I said, we love you guys. Remember, Black Lives Matter every day. I'm Kay. I'm Warren. And this has been Tone Deaf.
stop the party. Party when it can't. I love you. Love you.